There are two phones in here. One calls the ambulance, and the other calls the hearse. Which one do I pick up? Oh, you still haven't listened to Josh, Jackie, and Ron Fassler discuss episodes 7 and 8 of Fargo the TV series on Accept the Mystery? Oh, that's cool. I'll wait. But you've been warned. JFIO presents. What? Are you kidding? We got us some family here. This ain't no cool, huh? Okay, I'm not going to sit here and debate. I'll show you the life of a mind. You will find a fortune. Good would not be the fortune you seek. I suppose you think you're when I've raised hell, you know it. Something is very wrong. I don't want Santana Abraxas. I've just been in a terrible auto accident. What's the most you ever lost in the coin toss? Sometimes knowledge is Accept the mystery, the Coen Brothers podcast. Welcome back to Accept the Mystery. It's the Coen Brothers podcast where we talk about every Coen Brothers movie and every TV show inspired by Coen Brothers movie. It's uh, an absurd, ridiculous, excruciating, horrific levels of detail. My name is Josh Richmond. I, if I'm speaking at a slightly lower register than usual, it's because I'm just in the last stages of a head cold, working with a sinus headache right now. Uh, but I'm powering through, because that's how much I care about putting this thing out on a weekly basis and delivering it to the masses who need it. You're a hero, been, Josh. I am. I wasn't going to say that, but thank you. I think of myself as a hero. I think our audience knew that you had a cold when you said you had a head code. That's what you said, a head code. I, <laughs> I mean, I also sound like that even when I don't have a cold, to be fair. But, uh, <laughs> but no, look, listen, we can't leave people just stranded on Fargo episode six. I'm sure they're watching and they want to know what we think of episode seven and eight. So we have, to, we have to deliver it to the people. Look. Sitting across from me, well, just kind of catty corner to me, actually. We're not mm-hmm. in our usual studio. Uh, Jackie Lecht told Zay. Hello. We've, we've taken ATM on the road today. We have. All the way down to West LA. Down to West LA, yes. <laughs> actually, up the street is where we went. Yeah. yeah. Up the street from me. Up the, uh-huh. street, up the street from Jackie. That's down right. from Hollywood, technically. Um, but yeah, we made it all the way out here so that we could have our extra special awesome guest on the show today. He is a writer and actor. He's appeared in Watchmen. He's appeared in the show Alien Nation. He's appeared in seemingly every classic 90s TV show. ER, Melrose Place, Home Improvement, uh, Two Guys, a Girl, and a Pizza Place. Holy oh, yes. shit. Oh, yes. Um, and I predicted great things for Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> but I'm right? sorry he hasn't come through. <laughs> I mean, he's a talent, but yeah. He, oh, he's absolutely... Bad agent. Bad agent. Yeah. Man, oh, well, Bad projects. Who would have known that the Green Lantern movie was going to oh, bomb no, the way it no. did? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he was like, man, my, finally my own superhero franchise. But let's not digress. <laughs> let's not digress. Listen, Ron Fassler is on the show with me today. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Pleasure to be here. Ron, I'm super psyched to have you on. I know that you're a big fan of the show. Big fan. You're friends with Jackie, too, actually. You're, yeah, you guys are, like, right next to each other. Yeah, our dogs are in love. <laughs> we met through our dogs. Yep. Everybody who lives here, get a dog. You'll meet all your neighbors. Yeah. Oh, and the dogs sweet. will all be best friends. Now, did they kill a dog on any episode of Fargo? Oh, yeah. yeah. I thought so. They yeah. definitely did. Right, we won't oh. go into that, then. Lorne, it was yeah. a few episodes ago, yeah. Lorne yeah. Malvo is a ruthless, ruthless oh. man. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> but even before we actually start getting into the show of the week, we have an introductory segment that we like to do first, where we ask our guests questions loosely inspired by what we're watching. It's called uh, Inside Ron Fassler. Okay. <laughs> So, in Fargo Episode 7 and 8, which we watched today, uh, we learned a little bit more about Gus, who we know always wanted to be a postman, just found himself as a cop, but finally got to achieve his dream of being a postman. Ron, is there ever a job that you feel like you've always wanted to do, but never had a chance to do? It's not a postman. I <laughs> it's not a, not a postman? Uh, 
Well, you know, it's so interesting. I wanted to be an actor since I was a little boy, five years old. I was going to say, you're, you're basically like living living the dream of a lot of people. I did. I was able to be one of those people in uh, the Screen Actors Guild that made my living as an actor. And uh, it wasn't without a few years of struggle. But then once I hit it, I hit it. And then, you know, things change. You get a little older. You hit a certain place. And uh, I was very fortunate in that my wife, who... I met playing my wife yeah, on a television commercial. Story. We were cast <laughs> as husband and wife. That's so and we were two actors living in L.A., you know, doing the dream. And then we had children. And then she had to rethink what she wanted to do after the kids were in school full time. And then she became a writer, an overnight success. Wow. The very yeah. first thing she wrote uh, won uh, the Emmy uh, for the best film, uh, HBO's Warm Springs with Kenneth Branagh and Cynthia Nixon. So are you saying that doesn't usually happen where you write a screenplay and then it, your first, very first screenplay you write wins an Emmy? Uh, uh, no, it does not. She won the Writers Guild Award and was nominated for the Humanitas and the Penn Awards. And I mean, a it, it, big, big thing for her. And then for me, a chance to do other things because suddenly we weren't dependent on uh, my income. Mm-hmm. which uh, came at the right time, as I say, because <laughs> things yeah. started to shift. Uh, and that's what happens to certain actors. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a very difficult business. Again, I'm very blessed that I did as much as I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm essentially not doing it much anymore, although I did just do a film with Brian Cranston that will be out oh, next yeah. year. Oh, sweet. That was just on my own, actually, because... Uh, I know him, and I knew the director, and I knew the casting director, and I made a phone call, and sure enough, I found myself oh, there you go. getting cast in a movie. But at the same time, I, you know, as somebody who's gone through career transitions, that can be a freeing thing as well, to know that you have the option to, even if the thing you had been doing starts uh, starts drying up slightly, you can move on to other other. Well, I was always lucky that I always had other interests. Right. I have other friends who are actors of my age, and uh, they can only act. It's all they were Mm. ever trained to do. Yeah. You know, I've been a writer and a director, and I do a great deal of charity work, and I'm very blessed. I mean, I have things to do. But to answer the question, (laughs) which was uh, some other thing that I would have done had it not been that, uh, you know, uh, I think it probably would be teacher. I think it's a very noble profession, and not enough people do it. I mean, at least on a certain level. Uh, we really need good teachers in our public schools. We, for sure. Yeah. I've spent a little bit from time to time teaching. Never like a full-on real teacher, but I was briefly an after-school chess teacher. I've worked as an SAT tutor. Being able to work with kids. And like, it's it's weird that like, yeah, kids, I especially found this teaching chess to like seven and eight-year-olds, that they pick up on a really complex game and even like the strategy of this game so quickly. You're really, you're working with just like sponges that every word you say gets absorbed into their brain and it's like you have power. It's a <laughs> they, are, they, are, they are sponges, and yeah. you do have the ability to uh, really help shape and form their It's cool. It was, minds. A, it was yeah. actually it was really cool. It, it felt great, you know, teaching kids SAT stuff, and when the session's over, they're like, well, thanks so much, Mr. Richmond. You were a big oh, help. Oh, Mr. It's like, Richmond. It's, it's, really, it's really cool, actually. Yeah. It's really sweet. I'll never forget the first time somebody called me sir. Ooh. <laughs> I realized I was older than I thought. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Jackie. I like teaching too, which is so funny that everyone kind of thinks that, but, um, one of my good friends is a teacher and I've thought about that also, but it's just like how fulfilling that is. And you know, it's every job is stressful. So her job is very stressful too. But everybody, I, th- that, I guess everybody thinks that, but nobody wants to do it because teachers don't, don't get paid well. And I guess and kind of get crapped on too. But I would also, I would do like, if I wasn't a lawyer, I would do other creative stuff, which I still am sort of doing and plan on doing. So yeah. hopefully I kind of do transition, but I think, I mean, I would have been some kind of creative 
earlier if I had not gone to law school. So maybe I would have been like acting or something when I was younger. I just know I think of this question because like I, I, I'm... I'm very restless and I see like anybody doing anything and I'm like, wow, I wonder what it would be like to do that job. Yeah. I mean, I, at one point I was going down the computer programming path and I could have been a programmer. And it's like, wow, it would be interesting to like work in Silicon Valley because mm-hmm. that's blowing up so much. But as a kid, I was like, I wanted to be a taxi driver. That was the first, that was <laughs> the, the first, first job. That was the first job that I had in my I head. That was J- like, Jackie wanted to be a taxi dancer. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> Once on a dog walk. You know, I'll tell you though, anybody can teach. I mean, really, uh, it, 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 if you give yourself over to it, I think yeah. anybody has that. And, and if you can do it on a charitable level, um, you can do it that way too. Uh, everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs a little extra support. Yeah. So you don't have to do it in a classroom against, you know, standing next to the chalkboard, but there are other ways. Yeah. yeah. I mean, one of my kind of deeply held beliefs on to get really deep for a sec, part of the reason we're like here on the planet is basically one, we should try to learn everything we can and soak up everything we can. And then two, try to teach and pass on everything that we've learned to the next generation. And that's how like humanity goes stronger generation after generation. Yeah. So I read an article today, about we're running out of doctors. Oh, really? Oh, wow. People are not going into the profession uh, to be general practitioners. Mm. We're going to have a real shortage of doctors at some point. Hmm. You, I mean, you think because like doctor is such like a you know respected profession, and it's become very difficult because of the new laws and rules. And oh, it's, it's it's getting people discouraged. Wow, oh, Obamacare. <laughs> <laughs> but let's not even get into that not now. <laughs> Um, also, so, uh, Lester Nygaard in episode eight wins insurance salesman of the year. Ugh. Oh, are we going to start with seven or eight? Uh, well, we're going to talk about both. Okay. We're going to yeah. kind of, we're going to kind of mix them both together. But, uh, have you ever won an award? What's the best award you've ever won? Oh, no. I, uh, it's my wife who's the award. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I won an award once, uh, in high school, uh, but it was rigged. <laughs> what makes you what makes you say it was rigged no i was well liked <laughs> it was for an acting performance but it really wasn't the performance oh I it's know. not well it's not rigged it's just every award in high it's school like was when, a popularity it's contest. like when john wayne won for true grit it wasn't the performance they liked john wayne you know i never saw the original true oh grit. yeah we should we should yeah. do that and actually walk it's hard to podcast put, he was up against dustin hoffman and john voigt for midnight cowboy oh uh-huh. you really okay. can't compare <laughs> Right. Well, it's okay, and it's true. At that time, they, John Wayne was a way bigger star than those guys. So I think, yeah. Again, it popularity was a contest, yeah. achievement award. Yeah, yeah. yeah. for sure, for yeah. sure. Hmm. But but I've also heard great things about his performance in that. So I can't say without uh, having actually seen the movie. We should watch. and yeah. talk about that. Movie. I totally yeah. recommend True Grit. Yeah, for well, sure. We should. Um, yeah, I've yeah, I never I've never won an award for anything. But I've also very rarely been in settings that like offer awards. You know, even doing radio, they don't really have like radio awards at least that satellite radio people get yeah i don't know if i've won an award either hmm well that's on the bucket list then i guess i know nothing I, that stands out probably like you know small things but, I, 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 didn't, I, but I, I didn't even get the popularity contest awards. <laughs> when i was very young i wanted to be knighted by queen elizabeth i thought, I, I, thought I would be so great to be a sir <laughs> yeah i found out you have to be british you have to be British to be knighted? It was a disappointing day. I didn't know that. Oh, that's, so oh for you sure. learned something new that's, Oh, no, that's totally true. Oh, I what, did not the know. The prince are just going to knight the old red of, red of, red of the bill. Oh, I don't off. know. So you have to be <laughs> you have to be British. You can't be like Irish. You can be Irish. Scottish. You can. Okay. You have to be part of the like United Kingdom. Kingdom. Okay, Correct. got it. You, you, really, you really didn't know that? I didn't. I never thought about it. Yeah. 
I mean, it would just, like, <laughs> imagine if they, like, wanted to, like, knight Elvis. Does, like, Sir Elvis Presley make any sense? It only no. makes sense when you're thinking about a British person in your head already. That's think true. about the people who would be knighted in this country. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh. Be like, anybody who ever won Sir a Kennedy Kanye Center. West. Anybody who ever won a Kennedy Center honors you. <laughs> you know what? I, I bet Kanye wishes he could be knighted, too. Yeah. I bet he wishes he could, like, convert to, <laughs> to British just for that. <laughs> convert to British. <laughs> convert. Um, all right. You, you actually already answered one of my questions, which was, uh, how did you meet your wife? Because yeah. Gus meets his wife in these episodes. Yeah. So that, oh. that's a really cool story. Uh, really I love cool story, that story. I think that's the cutest thing <laughs> ever. Best play in fact, and uh, when I got to the set, they said, oh, have you met your wife? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, Ron Fassler, Margaret Nagel. I leaned in, kissed her on the cheek and said, hello, wife. Oh my God! So cute! And that was a Tuesday. Uh, I asked her out on a date. We went out on Saturday. The second date was Tuesday, and we've been together ever since. Oh my God! That's, that's amazing. Yeah. No, that's like this, that's like a storybook story. That's wait, amazing. wait, wait! And this April, that will have been thirty years ago. Oh my God! Wow! Congratulations! That is so cool. Thank you. Oh, that is such a cute story. <laughs> I think I, I just won an award. Like I think I just won an award. I think that's better than an award, I'm going to yeah. say. Yeah. I'll get the Jackie Josh <laughs> thumbs up anniversary pin. The yeah. J, the J&J double thumbs up. That's so right. Official oh award for excellence in the field of meeting. <laughs> <laughs> a lifetime achievement award for that. Oh, that is so cute. All right. So the last question before we move on to talk about the TV show is uh, we get to meet Budge and Pepper in these episodes, a.k.a. Key and Peele. Oh, yeah. Who get, uh, <laughs> after the seriously screw up having to watch the Fargo syndicate building. They are forced to work in the file room for a year. Uh, what is the worst job you ever worked in? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, uh, as a unemployed actor, I did not have the usual job, which is waiter. Oh, mm. And oh, I'll tell yeah. you why I didn't. First, I'd be a lousy waiter. But second <laughs> is I always had a skill that's not such a great skill anymore. That was being a typist. Mm-hmm. This is the days before computers. Mm-hmm. So I could type 100 words a minute. So I always had a job. Right. So I could work temp anywhere I wanted. Um, everybody always wanted to hire me permanently because, you know, I spoke English. I could answer the phones. You know, right. I was competent. Mm-hmm. Right. And, ba- and back before, everybody is just used to typing all That's day. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It was a real skill. So I always did that. But boy, uh, I had a couple of typing jobs there uh, where I, I just strange people around me. You know, it's it's... It's kind of fun. They don't really have temp jobs anymore, do they? They do. We'll get temp secretaries in my office sometimes. Because that was a big thing in the day. Yeah. You could just be a temp. It was great for actors, you know? Yeah. You don't have any auditions. Yeah. You call in the morning and they go, oh, yeah, get over to, you know, mm-hmm. channel, you know. 15. And it's exciting, too, because you could always go somewhere new and, do, right. and have new challenges. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say the worst I ever spent was on Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Oh, because I know nothing about Wall Street, mm-hmm. and it scared the living daylights out of me. The mm. people were so—I mean, strange—and it was—it was like a, a different universe. I was Alice through the Looking Glass. I mean, the men—you know—they're—they're they're smoking cigars and they're sticking their feet up on their desks. And oh people God. are shining their shoes, and I, I imagine it's still now is, like now that. is now is this something like you see on like Wolf of Wall Street or yeah, a Boiler Room? It's like, just like a big room full of people exactly, making calls and exactly. yelling at each other. And I was sitting there doing some typing and. Huh. <laughs> you know, it was a very strange place with all the the things, ro- you know, the numbers. Yeah. Going by. And I can't. It's Greek to me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I don't know. Even even now, even even knowing what the what the ticker symbols and everything right. mean, just like who's like reading 
like this like constant string of like symbols running past you and lots of screaming and people shouting and uh, yeah. yeah it's a very high pressured very that uh, was one day now I don't know if it's like I don't know if it, Wall Street's really like that anymore I feel like everything has become so automated and computerized that like most of the actual work is just done by I've been re- I was reading some article about it that basically uh, companies and, and you know brokerages and stuff will just you know set up apps that buy stocks automatically when they reach a certain price and nobody's yelling at each other anymore hmm. have you ever sold some stock uh, if you tell your broker Mm-mm. to sell it they sell it within seconds yeah wow. it's, a, it's an instant it, it goes it, it, there's buyers waiting to snap it if wow. a, a particular stock it, it's but it does feel like kind of an uh, age has been tech. lost, the age of people just putting in their, putting their feet up on couches and yelling at each other and smoking cigars. I don't think that's what Wall Street's really like anymore. With hmm. shoeshine boys. Oh, my that God. Was, that was the wildest <laughs> thing about it. I was basically, get me out of here, and I don't want to go to Wall Street anymore. Yeah. Besides the fact, you know, it's way at the tip of Manhattan, and so, you know, it was like a whole strange... Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I came out of the subway, and I was like, where am I? Yeah. The streets of cobblestone. Uh, if you know New York, it's yeah. a very different right. place. So that was the weirdest. Hey, you know what? Huh. Typist is better than Shoeshine Boy. You're a, you're a step above that. Let That's me tell true. you. <laughs> Let me tell you. Yeah. Uh, Jack, I mean, Jackie, I don't even know. Have you worked jobs besides like lawyer? How dare you? Yes, I have. You have? Well, I worked at a real estate development company during my last year of college and then my year off between college and law school. So I did that, but that was a pretty nice job. I can't really complain about that. I worked in an ice cream shop. That job okay. was pretty easy, too. I it almost is. worked in an ice cream oh. shop. I was in an off-Broadway play, and I thought this was the big break of my career, and it closed in one week. Oh. And on Monday, I said, I need a job. So I applied to Baskin-Robbins mm-hmm. down the street from where I lived. I got in the shower that morning knowing I had to go to Baskin-Robbins, and I burst into tears, and I didn't go. Oh. The thought of working at Baskin-Robbins just oh. destroyed me. Oh, no. It's really not so bad as I far as medial not. jobs go. <laughs> it's, yeah, it was actually yeah. pretty easy. It was, but it I was, was like, really pretty chill. I was like 15 or, or 16 or something, and I just... It was actually this little shop that... It's no longer there, but it's in the little Brentwood area, like where that Starbucks is on Sun, or like sure. uh, Sunset in Barrington. Yeah. And uh, I was just like, this guy would leave me to run the shop, and he would just leave, and... I would literally manage the entire store, and I was like a teenager. It was very weird. I don't that happened know. to me all the time. I mean, I was uh, I was nineteen and twenty when I was working those jobs. But you were but... like an adult. I was like I was a literal teenager. Right, I was like right. fifteen, sixteen. It was really <laughs> weird that he would allow that. Um, and it was this Italian ice king, but uh, it was fine. But I think my my worst jobs it might have been like specific nights where I was babysitting where the kids were like really bratty. Oh. Um, but I like babysitting because I love kids. But there's there were some nights where I was just like, this is impossible. But May I just tell you yeah. that I babysat as a young person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what my fee was? What? what? One dollar an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> wow. Everybody on the radio must think I'm 100 right. no, exactly. years old. It's like, you're not. I'm oh, not. watch your kids for a night for a shiny nickel. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not that old. At the least. end of the night, I had $6. That was a lot of money in those days. Wow. Yeah. In those days. <laughs> <laughs> and then you went down to the soda jerk and he made you a boxy. And, yeah. We're talking about the 19, early 1970s. And I mean, I could get uh, two slices of pizza and a soda for about a dollar and a half. Wow. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's right. I know. Enough nostalgia. Let's get back uh, to Fargo. Inflation, <laughs> seriously. Let's go back to 2006 slash 2007 when right. uh, Fargo episode six and seven take place. It's the review of the TV show of the week. It's called uh, the Big Review Ski. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So 
we instantly pick up where we left off right off the bat in uh, episode six. We we left on a huge cliffhanger, right? There was the big shootout mm-hmm. in the in the blizzard, that beautiful blizzard shootout. Ugh. Molly is shot. Gus feels horribly guilty, and Lester has just pulled off this like incredible, Ugh, ridi- incredible scheme. Dis- yeah, yeah. You were that entire first scene where uh, the little kid Gordo brings the gun to school, yeah, and the gun gets on lost. And, yeah, you. I mean, you were more than on. You were just like horrified. I yeah. was sitting. I was sitting there next to you, and you're like, "What? Yeah, how is this happening? Yeah, well, it's not <laughs> a very good impression of me, but something like that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jackie. Uh, how how is you? this happening? How dare you? Oh my you. god. That's my Jackie impression. Wow, yeah, it sounds I, I, exactly I pulled like that up. I pulled that up. <laughs> I know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it was just horrifying. I mean, yeah. his level of being a complete sociopath is just like unbelievable. It's, but. but it's shocking. It's shocking just from where we started at the beginning of yeah. the season because, as we talked about, the entire the entire pilot is a total bait and switch, right? Because you you see Lester and you see him as this kind of put upon guy, and he seems sweet, and he seems like just a. Uh, just you know, kind of just normal screw up, everyday screw up. But it turns out he has some this this thing inside of him that has Ugh. been growing over the entire eight episodes we've watched him so far. Um, that just starts with him kind of being able to you know out with the police and get out of immediate danger. But now in these two episodes, he's starting to be a more proactive kind of evil. Well, it's, it's actually the crux of the series, isn't it? Yeah, it's it where, is. It's where Lester, under the influence of Malvo, is truly corrupted. It's the mm-hmm. end of his innocence and the beginning of another monster. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that is essentially the core element of the series. Malvo is the devil, and it is For about sure. what his... Mm-hmm. Uh, imminent influence is the the everlasting influence of a devil in our world you know yeah no exactly Malvo has the entire time been this almost like this inhuman monstrous demonic kind of figure and he basically he planted a seed in Lester Mm -hmm. in the very first episode and that seed has been growing and growing Um, but only now well, really, it started in episode six when we saw him planting all that stuff. But you see, as you see that interrogation scene in the very beginning of episode seven, and well, I mean, Bob Odenkirk. He's not interrogating him. He's like telling him what happened. Exa- exactly. Like he's uh, he's. It's really important to point out too that Lester has had a huge stroke of luck, and that Molly's not around to even intervene in this situation in any way. Yeah. Um. If Molly, if Molly was even in the room. To point out some of what Bill is, or to stop Bill from basically handing Lester the entire narrative, yeah. things might have gone differently. But as it turns out, Lester was just totally prepared for this, completely sells it, yeah. sells sells this pain and anger. It, it really is just monstrous, but it's it, but so fascinating to watch. Martin Freeman is so good in this role. Yeah, he is really good at that. All the acting in the show is exceptional. The casting was uh, was brilliant. And yeah. uh, perhaps you're... Your listeners have already heard the story of Alison Tolman, but, you know, she came out of absolute nowhere. Yeah, Margaret was telling me that the other day. Yeah, she uh, put herself on tape. She lives in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's a complete unknown. Right. And uh, she nailed it. Yeah, yeah, right. No, they, uh, I guess what, uh, when Noah Hawley was, or whoever the casting director was, was casting it, they were just like, uh, they got they got recognizable actors for the other three main roles, but they just wanted somebody who kind of just embodies that very very small town detective but persistent and well there's an honesty about her and a freshness and it is of course the quasi marge character Mm -hmm. yes i think is part if i can say this if you've already talked about it but you know noah hawley's brilliance in 
creating a show not written by the Coen brothers that pays homage to the Coen brothers in such... It's, it's, I call it the Fargo movie sideways. You know, it's just, he, he, he flipped it on its ear just so. Mm-hmm. Uh, what a delicate balance. Uh, that's oh. the thing. I mean, tone and all of that is so important in a series. And that's why this show caught my eye the moment it started. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, it's the kind of thing that would have been so easy to screw up, and we oh. talked about that. That I was, I was almost dreading a Fargo TV show because I loved the movie so much. Uh, yeah. I, thought, there's, there's I was no really way, skeptical yeah, too. That there you was, had there was skeptical. no way they could do it without without just screwing up the tone. And without them, they were not involved. Right? They they executive produced. They but, are not but, involved. Everything yeah. I've read is they read the pilot and went, okay, yeah, that's all, and that was their blessing. And they really don't want to have anything to do with it. That's essentially the impression I get is mm-hmm. they said, okay, you can do it. That's essentially their role on the show. Well, you have to understand, <laughs> they don't own the property. They, they, is that really true? Yeah, it's the, the studio that owns it, owns it. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have any say in whether it could be a television series or not. And in fact, I don't know if you guys know, this was the second pilot of Fargo. Oh, I didn't know that. There was one done quite some time ago. I didn't know that ago. either. Yeah, quite some time ago. And if uh, by the end of the podcast, I will remember who played Marge, because it was actually Marge. And it was a wonderful actress. So oh, I'm, it was I'll, like off the actual. Yes, yeah. I'm going to remember. Because I thought I'd heard something that they wanted to uh, that they wanted to do a version of Fargo that was basically like a direct continuation of the events of the movie. Um, you I know, bringing, ba- bringing back the characters. I think and, that's mm. how they did yeah. that first. I'm very, I'm very glad they didn't do that. I think of the idea of just kind of taking the world and the tone as a starting point and ha- telling an entirely new story is much smarter. Yeah, it was very bold. It was risky, and it paid off. The same to be said, of course, for the Martin Freeman character of Lester. It's very similar to the character Bill Macy plays in yes, the movie. Yeah, absolutely. But just twisted, just yeah. so. Just more of a sociopath. He's not a car salesman. He's an insurance salesman. He's right. <laughs> he's he's not quite up to what he's about to get himself into. And because at, at the, they start from a really similar starting point, right? right? Yeah, just kind of the put the put upon loser who's trying to not really a good guy, but just a guy who's always kind of scrambling to get himself out of a jam. Mm-hmm. But. Um, but Jerry Lundegaard is is just a screw up through and through, and he's never much puts dumber. it together. He's, he's much a dumber, lot dumber. Than, than Lester, and also Lester at first seems like he's going to be dumb, but it turns right. out he's he's abs- incredibly he has smart. Hidden, oh. hidden yes. strengths, hidden yeah. strengths, brought out by the malevolent, malevolent. Yes, Malvo. Oh, yeah. Malvo. Yeah. malevolent. I think I'm onto something. <laughs> yeah, I think that's part of the the name. That is that's exactly it. Malevolent. Yeah, yeah. it's For it's sure. it does sound like Mal- Lauren Malvo. It's almost an acronym, anagram. It's almost an anagram. The same root or something like that. Correct. Yeah. That's where we start off with Lester and we, and yeah, and we see his brother who I always think looks like Patrick Wilson, but I know it's a Patrick Wilson. Well. Um, who will be the star of the next Fargo. That's right. <gasps> yeah. Spoiler. And, and yeah, know? don't spoil. That counts as a spoiler for Jackie. You can't spoil anything for the Oh, but it doesn't Jackie. matter. I mean, you know that it's all new characters. I do know that, which I felt was a spoiler. Well, she, she also thought me. that was a spoiler when I told Can her Can I that. tell you who he's playing though? <laughs> oh, fine. I'll well, allow this. You know, you know the character of Allison uh, uh, Tolman's uh, father on the show, played by Keith Carradine, who owns yeah. the cafe? Yeah. Who? yeah. The former cop? Yeah. He, Patrick Wilson is going to play him. Yeah, back, younger, back younger in the version 1970s. of him. Oh. That's the story. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I won't say any more than that. Complete spoiler, but I'm ready for it. That's, That's not fine. A spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> you should hear poor Josh. Everything he tells me, I tell him is a spoiler. I know. I can't say a word. To. What? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. What happened yesterday? Where I think I was talking about. You were I, talking about something that already happened. I was talking about something that already happened, and you said spoiler alert. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Stop it! But the greatest part was that I said it completely deadpan, like I didn't really mean it. I was like, oh, that's a spoiler, and you started reacting and getting all upset, and I was well, like, I was I'm just used kidding. To, I'm so used to you misinterpreting the word spoiler at this point. I'm just, I'm on my guard. 
guard. Uh-huh. Like, make my skin crawl sometimes. God. I know. Okay, well, let's talk about Molly for a second. Yeah. Because we had a, a slight flashback to the, the Blizzard shootout, and we got to see it from her perspective this time. Yeah. I want to point out, I, I think I already pointed out last episode, but both the sound design and the visual design of that entire sequence is so good. Mm-hmm. Well, um, uh, the director, Colin Buxey, won the Emmy Award. Mm. Yeah. For that, I think specifically for that sequence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And in a small world department, uh, that off-Broadway show that made me cry in the shower <laughs> yeah. was directed by Colin Buxy. Whoa. Oh. What do you think of that? Wow. <laughs> so when he got up to accept his award, that's the first time I've laid eyes on him oh, in 30 my... years. Oh, my God. Five years. And I went, he looks great. <laughs> <laughs> that's Colin. That's Colin. <laughs> and I'll tell you one funny story. Uh, he was a television director but it was a play he would have a scene ready for rehearsal and everyone would quiet down he'd go all right and action <laughs> you don't say action during a play yeah, rehearsal. it was very play. strange yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i've been seeing his name over the years he was a director of, of some very good episodes of breaking bad and uh, obviously uh this oh was, yeah he's this, definitely a director of heard around and yeah this, this was mm. a tour de force with this particular sequence in the snow yeah yeah the really. white the whiteness that blinks everything else you can't yeah it's just yeah. pure white which uh total throwback to the movie which uses white so well and using white very well here but let me ask i mean did you feel a little cheated by the fact that it ended on such a cliffhanger that was really not a cliffhanger in the sense that you kind of you knew, knew you knew molly wasn't gonna die molly. okay yeah. well i'm such a so gullible because i gullible guess at this, yeah well at this point it's like i don't put anything past anyone so i was like maybe they did just kill her off so well let's face it uh, look what happened in the pilot the character you think right. is going to be right. the lead in the series. Yeah. Can right. I say this? Is this a spoiler for me? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. As long as you're not talking about anything that happened in episodes. Oh, no, just, yeah, no he's kidding because I'm, he right. already died. <laughs> the lead character, that uh, the sheriff. That, yeah. that I was absolutely flabbergasted. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what I was saying, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if Molly did die at this point. We've also now watched enough Coen Brothers movies that'll kill off characters in surprising fashion. That yeah. think you're, uh, you've had PTSD you're just ready yeah. for anything to I'm happen. I'm like, all right, moment. they're dead. Great. Everyone's dead. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. No, I, I won't say the spoiler alert here. I'll say spoiler right. alert. I won't say what I'm going to say, but uh, if anyone has never seen Burn After Reading, you haven't done Burn After we Reading. Have, we, have. we have, in fact. We have. But in any event, that has a couple of deaths that are just your... <laughs> right, so exactly. You scream out loud. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you laugh at the same time. Yeah, right. no, I'm a very big fan of that one. I hope yeah. you guys liked it. I hope you... We uh, <laughs> we actually didn't yeah. like it. As a matter, <laughs> as a matter of fact, my, my dad, who you know, loved it. We were both not huge fans. Well, I saw it in the movies when it came out. Then I watched it recently uh, here in my home, and I liked it so much, I forced my wife to sit and watch it. So I just watched it twice <laughs> in the last four weeks, and I have... Uh, Does Margaret like it? She She didn't quite get it. Interesting. I think we might have been on on that we're same on, page of yeah, Margaret. Yeah, but, but my favorite part of the movie was that moment where Brad Pitt jumps out of the closet. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, the end, and the end, the last scene with J.K. Simmons and David. Oh, Rocky. oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, both both <laughs> scenes of J.K. Simmons actually are oh, pretty hilarious. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know, he's the Coen Brothers' good luck symbol. Yeah. No, no Jason Reitman's. Yeah, he's Jason yeah. Raymond's good luck symbol. Right. He's the Coen Brothers. Uh, he was in the Lady Killers too, he's so he doesn't do a whole lot for the Coen yeah. Brothers. Yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> and now his price just is going to go up. Way yeah. Yeah. yeah, for a for a very deserved uh, hopeful, hopeful win for Whiplash. But yeah, he's totally going to win. Yeah, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, totally going out on a limb with that. But uh, yeah, but no, but Molly ends up uh, you know in the hospital. She looks like hell, but it turns out she just lost a spleen. She's not dead. Ah, what's a spleen? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I. Uh, 
Gus is Gus, but all Molly wants though is uh, for Gus to get her a new spleen. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. Her the entire way she treats Gus in those scenes is pretty sweet too. Where she's just like, ah, oh, you know, you were just trying to protect me. She's trying to comfort him. I know. Which is hilarious because she's resting in the hospital. I know that was a little annoying, but I was like, okay, you're just sweet, but because in a, in a way, um. Gus actually genuinely does have a little bit of that uh, that Jerry Lindegard screw-up quality to him. You see it a couple times in these episodes, mm. where it's like, later on in episode eight, where he's supposed to get go get the red sauce from the grocery store, and his daughter's like, you didn't get the red sauce, did oh, you? Geez. And of course he didn't. Mm-hmm. He, is, he is just a terminal screw-up, except he has the sweetness and actual humanity that's missing from these other characters. Yeah. So you could, and you can see that's what Molly sees in him, and the and the way that you can see in both these episodes that they're forging like a real sweet relationship. Mm-hmm. As, and as a terminal screw up, I think a job at the post office really is apt. Oh, for <laughs> sure, apt. Yeah, and he's also luckily not not the hidden psychopath who's going to go shooting shooting up the uh, the nearest post One office. Would yeah, he doesn't. Seriously. He does not seem like it at least. I love I love these scenes between Molly and Gus, and I know that uh, GJ, who we had on for episodes four through oh, six, yeah. hated those scenes <laughs> and thought they were terminally boring. I don't He's at all. He's such a hater, though. Um, I think there's just such such a sweetness and realness to those moments that is necessary to balance out. It's completely necessary. Yeah, uh, and believable because the actors pull it off so beautifully. Yeah. Both, yeah, both what Allison Tolman is doing and and Colin Hanks, who's just really lived it in a hunt, completely, totally believable the way he reacts to all this. Mm-hmm. Well, let's not forget, and if I may, because uh, I know you covered it when you talked about the pilot, but the key scene in the entire series is that first scene with him and Malvo when he stops Malvo and pulls him over. Malvo tells him mm-hmm. he is not going to. Oh, right, mm-hmm. yes. That scene is I the key. I love that it's scene. It's the key to the series. It is a key, yeah. Because it is the... Uh, the absolute uh, personification of the evil yep. that always lurks, yep. that's always there just around the corner. And if you have the chance to sidestep evil, take that chance. Well, absolutely. I think so. it, it sets a, it, you know, it I sets always a, thought he did the right thing, even though I know it's controversial because he's a cop, but no. I think See, he was right. Exactly. I know it's interesting you think he did the right thing because yeah. I think the entire, his arc is really him realizing that he did the wrong thing. Well, he let a murderer go. Yeah. And, but he would have died. And, but, and his child would have died. Yes, yeah. but indirectly, he's kind of responsible for every murder Malvo's committed afterwards. But if, he wouldn't have been able if, to stop him if they were able to get him behind bars. Look how sneaky he was. In yeah, I mean, true. I just when think Malvo would have off the impersonation. Yeah, he would have gotten out of the car, killed him, and explained. kept going. But it's true that uh, actually, that Malvo found out his secret identity, found out that he was a priest and he that he was actually Frank Peterson. He got that package in the second episode. He hadn't gotten it yet by the is time. Is that the package he picks up that That's, day? That oh, yeah, he, he gets it for Frank Peterson. He, he walks he, away. Yeah, he, he gets it from the mailroom. He looks at it. He says, I'm a priest, apparently. And he walks away. Another great huh. uh, scene. Yeah. Of the, and that was very similar, in a way, to the scene with the vendor who he makes flip the coin for his life in No Country. Oh, Shigur, oh, okay. right. Shigur. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, very that, sim- uh, another yeah. Coen Brothers homage. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the parallels between Malvo and Anton Shigur just uh, throughout, they're, they're very similar characters. Right. And in a way, we've talked about how this is kind of like taking the setting of Fargo, the movie, and dropping Anton Shigur in the middle of it and seeing what chaos comes out of it. What other Coen Brothers movies have you been able to cite within this particular miniseries that there, um, Noah Hawley is paying homage to? Yeah. There was a, well, in the very first episode, there was a sign in, in Luz uh, right. for white Russians. White Russians. Yeah. Those yeah. are, those well, are little the... things, but I'm talking about, well, certainly, of course, <laughs> the burying of the money 
is a direct uh, yeah direct to the Fargo. movie but there's yeah, the <laughs> as uh, DJ called it Juice Stuff the movie um, oh, A Serious Man a there's ser- a reference with a neighbor ma- yeah. who's a Jewish neighbor major, yes, across the major way. Serious Man reference to that whole parable that was told yeah. with, between him and the Jewish neighbor correct um, um, and uh, actually a couple that come up in these t- in uh, in episode 8 there was another No Country um, thro- moment where uh, Malvo is choking out the guard yeah 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 straight out of No Country for absolutely. old men absolutely yeah that's um, the first murder he does in No Country Ode to Joy comes back. There's a there's a version of Ode to Joy that plays during the opening moments of episode eight that's huh. uh, very similar to the version that plays in Raising Arizona. Mm, that's right, yeah. I didn't um, you me. There's a moment where you see a picture of uh, women on the beach very prominently. Oh, yeah. Total Barton throwback Fink. to Barton Fink. Yeah. All these moment, all these little Easter eggs are scattered throughout. Uh, I'm and sure somebody's every, gathered them, is them on the I internet think. in a column somewhere. I'm, sure, I'm yeah. sure. I haven't done research, but uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just noticing... Yeah, these are just the ones I've noticed. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch. Yeah, but I, but as a code, but as a Code Brothers fan, having watched all these movies, it's so cool to notice all these little Easter eggs and mm-hmm. see. This is just a ton of fan service to their entire filmography. Yeah. Um, Jackie, you asked an interesting question when we were watching the show. Where, who Chaz doesn't have a lawyer. Oh yeah, who is, where I was is Chaz's thinking, lawyer? Yeah, that's my concern. <laughs> that was budget. They just ran out of money to hire another actor. <laughs> yeah, it was like the second he was in the cell, there's just like no lawyer in sight. And then I think later his wife did make some reference to his lawyer, but you never see the lawyer doing. I mean, I don't know if we will. I'm assuming we won't. But well, he was railroaded, and also the cops never even questioned that that abundance of evidence. Yeah. is so convenient. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's all right. You know, it's okay. We don't really care about Chaz. I no, care about Chaz. I care about Chaz. I feel, I, yeah. I'm, for reasons we can't even talk about because we don't want to spoil episodes nine and ten, but he's, he has, his whole story is completely heartbreaking. Okay, that's a spoiler. But, but I think, I mean, the fact that Lester framed him like that, and I, I mean, just to start, that alone is heartbreaking. I mean, he's not brother. the Yeah, he's not the nicest guy. Chaz well, isn't they like set the that best. Up. Right. Yeah, but he didn't deserve this. Not, like, not, yeah, not in the slightest. Yeah. And then, and then later we catch up with his wife, who's mostly just concerned that he cheated on her. I can't, and, I can't believe it. I was Miss Hubbard County for Pete's sake. Yeah. And the only reason that Lester does it to his own brother is not out of malice, it's out of convenience. Right. He does it because he can. Yeah. Yep. And that's part of his malevolence that he's inherited from Melbourne. yeah yeah I, th- I think actually the Chaz says um to Lester in like their final conversation um like some there's there's no other suspects like you unless unless they pit it on somebody else it's gonna be you um and like that kind of you could kind of see that that gives Lester the idea that he's gonna have to to frame somebody else well yeah, Lester yeah. thinking on his feet is part of the fun of the entire series oh. I mean just smashing his head into the wall to you know yeah. uh, create the alibi for yeah. having somebody else yeah no yeah, well, yeah. well every performance is great and you know Billy Bob is the one who eventually actually like won Golden Globes for it and he's fantastic but I have the most joy watching Lester just. It's it's fascinating. It's just yeah. like it's he gets just, under my skin. Yeah, in a real way. Watching yeah. watching well, his growth and everything he does, especially this transformation that happens in yeah. these two episodes we're discussing. Because he's it's uh, it's the I confidence think it's, when mm-hmm. they fast, when we flash forward when we talk about episode eight. Yeah. yeah. Well, what did you guys think of the? fast forward so to speak oh my god i felt so cheated i was like what i wanted to see what happened i will say i like that they did it but in i will say that when i first saw that moment i was like what wait no you can't you can't you can't skip all this stuff but having seen the entire story you could tell that they were building and building to that moment and it completely makes sense did anybody have my reaction which was in that moment because let's uh let's recap the camera pans away from Gus in the car. Yeah. And we're heading into the woods. Yeah. 
It's quiet. I'm not sure there's even music. And we're panning. And I kept thinking it was Malvo. Yeah, that's Jackie, exactly what I Jackie thought. thought the same the thing. sense of dread. Yeah. In that camera pan was so palpable. I, yeah. My heart was beating out of my Me face. too. That's so okay. crazy. And I think that's they were that that pan. They do uh they do actually play music. They play the main okay. far the the main Fargo TV show theme, which okay. is which is something yeah, that feels like it's that. got like a ton of like import. Whenever yes, they pull that out, heavy. it's like something something big is about to happen. Yeah, a um, lot of dread on that. That's exactly how I yeah. felt the whole time that was happening. I was just waiting for Malvo to be there, ready to slaughter everyone who was around him or something. And later, when you see when you see the guard who's guarding Wrench, um, you know, um, just stuck into the bathroom. Yeah. You, even when we hoarded him for a moment, you're like, oh shit, is Malvo somewhere? And then you see his, his legs dip out from under the stall. Oh. But uh, a fast forward was the last thing I expected. Last thing I expected too, but yeah. when you go and you see the way episode eight is structured, um, it's very interesting. I think you see, uh, like you see Molly in the, in the celebration party, like, oh, we woke him back, Molly, and she's talking to the widow of the sheriff. Yeah. Who's just, who's just like, well, it's great that we caught the guy, right? Now we can finally move on and have some closure. And like yeah. Molly, Molly knows that this isn't the guy, but it's she's... Heartbreaking. Yeah. There's just, there's so much social pressure. They're like, of course she doesn't want to let let this widow know the guy's yeah that that really stuck out and we we were watching that i made that same comment of just there's such a human desire to get closure and to have something just be explained and make sense or just like okay this was the guy that did it we have to accept it and move on and you're desperate for that closure so right like yeah we've got this story the story seems to be wrapped up we can't keep dwelling on this anymore and that's and that's what leads us into the your jump because you can see the pressures that force these characters to kind of let this story go for a while. Yeah. Even and the though, jump allows the writer's imaginations to really take flight. Yes. Oh, absolutely. That, uh, and, it's, and it's very exciting to see these characters in the new stations that they've arrived in. Well, the biggest transformation, of course, is Lester. Of course. And then oh, the God. shock, of course, when we see... Uh, Malvo with the new wig, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> which we can't even talk about yet because all we've seen is that little glimpse of Malvo. Uh, well, he has white hair and all that. But yeah. but even but just yeah, even I that loved was how a, much Lester squirmed though yeah. when that happened. Well, he drops his entire facade of, yeah. of uh, seeming uh, you know cool guy who's got the world by the tail. Right. It's uh, just it's all got he has it. to do it's is got see Malvo instant. one more time. It's and got it. He's an back to the old Lester. Ugh. It's great. It's great. Every, Everything Martin Freeman is doing, man, every one of his little ticks that they and they disappear as that confidence grows, but then they just all come back yeah. in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Can you imagine being as busy as he is? I mean, he filmed the oh, yeah, well, Hobbits. Yeah, with like yeah, with like Sherlock Holmes's, and the Hobbits and, and right. then he does that. And then he's got something else coming up that I just saw that sounds fascinating. It's him and Anthony LaPaglia, and it's a a movie about uh, Adolf Eichmann on trial Whoa. Oh. way back in the 1960s, <laughs> if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. And uh, it was televised. Yep. The Eichmann trials. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, the, the two guys that broadcast it. Oh, wow. Sounds very interesting. I don't very know interesting. That's probably a BBC interesting. thing, but... Yeah. Actually, I think my favorite Martin Freeman moment in these two episodes is is a silent one. It's just him sitting at a table and like talking, and you can tell he's telling a story, but you don't know what story he's telling. Oh, We're just, yeah. You're just holding in on Vegas. him and slowly pushing in, and as he's you know kind of very you know just gesturing and telling the story, and you can see just from that, you don't need to hear him. You can just see what he's doing, and you can see that confidence. Well, my favorite so impressive. is the absolute uh, you know awe with which his coworker. Uh, oh, greets yeah. his stapling the boys faces <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. that was attraction. amazing that's uh, that was amazing <laughs> that moment is, is indelible yeah. and that actress i think uh, i think her name is sarah park she she was fantastic just great 
she is really good in that playing yeah playing somebody else who's kind of kind of a dope but just incredibly sweet and you can well, see how she would fall for for lester and it's uh, without uh, no spoiler alerts but <laughs> yeah. yeah the character is a fascinating one and they they that's the thing that noah holly i i say they but it's noah holly everyone that's, knows there's no staff right he wrote every episode i know i thought oh, yeah. no i thought he had other writers like help him beat it out um, but I, I, I'm pretty so, sure that he did at least write I don't write think they every... got credit. I do know for a fact that he's hired a few writers for the second season. Mm-hmm. And then he said in an interview, I'm going to give them each a script because it's not fair. So they will have their name right. in a script, but essentially he'll be writing it. Because hmm. as most people do know, uh, but maybe there are some listeners who don't, uh, any television show you're watching, uh, if it has one of the staff writers' name on it, it's always gone through the show runner's uh, for want of a better word, their typewriter, you know, yeah. their computer. Right. There's been a pass. Uh, and a lot of the writers uh, probably don't see a lot of their own lines anymore. Uh, it, it's just the way it is. It uh-huh. is. And, you know, and and I get it because, you know, for a show to have a consistent voice, That's it helps right. for it to all be filtered through one person. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. But a lot of these new shows that are in for about an eight or a ten order, uh, John Logan wrote every episode of Penny Dreadful on Showtime, mm-hmm. uh, and Noah Hawley wrote every episode of Fargo here. I don't forget uh, about True Detective, which was all, all, one, all one, one writer person, and one director. One director. Uh, Mike, oh. White, Mike White wrote every episode of uh, Enlightened. Enlightened, yeah. On HBO. All, I mean, and all those, like, those kind of single story, single season shows or like these like kind of anthologies of seasons are a relatively new phenomenon that Fargo I think is possibly the best example of so far a really strong version of thing uh, example of what that kind of storytelling can accomplish when you know that you have an end in mind and you can do things like that year jump that you couldn't do if you feel like you have to tell a story that'll last five or six or seven seasons well the show was right. so well thought out and you can do that when you're only doing ten right now and I and I think Hall, I think I saw Holly in an interview say that yeah before even any of the scripts were written he had written like a Yes. 200 page treatment yes. or something that had every single beat he was mm-hmm. very sure of where he was going yeah uh, you know if you look at a show which had to do 24 episodes yeah. the first season of 24 mm-hmm. uh, there's no way they knew the ending when they started no way right. they were making it up as they went along yeah, uh, they, and they admit it. Yeah, and and, and you I mean, and you can tell when you watch enough twenty four that you're well, like, oh, you just have to keep piling on twist after twist at a certain point. Yeah, the twists don't make sense if you go back. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, twists for twists' sake. You already mentioned uh, Malvo's big shootout, but let's talk about that a little bit. Malvo's big uh, yeah. motivation in these two episodes is basically just pure revenge. He finally actually kind of got stopped um, in episode six, and he is pissed. And it's not like, he, I mean, he's a, he's a controlled enough character that you can't necessarily obviously tell that he's pissed, but he is just going on a rampage. And that entire shootout in Fargo is, oh, that's, a, that's just a gorgeous scene. Oh, um, I was and, so happy I didn't have to see it. But it's a triumph of sound design, too, because yep. it's, all, it's all that one long tracking shot, and you're hearing the entire story of what's happening. I um, laughed out loud during it. Yeah, no, it's, it is. It's really, it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching with my son, who's a huge fan of this. Uh, he's 25 years old, and he just was, he was screaming with laughter. I mean, yeah. just, <laughs> and we were smacking ourselves in the head, you know, because it was just brilliant. Uh, I'd never seen anything like it before. And then, of course, 
you know that uh, that Pepper and Budge are sitting there and not hearing <laughs> and not, it. Right, and not hearing a thing. The fact that I didn't hear it is so absurd, but okay. Well, it's because it's we're hearing it so clearly. Yeah. And... And every little moment, my favorite moments in that in that scene is uh, there's a moment where you hear somebody say "freeze shit bird" and yeah. then a couple of clicks of the gun, yeah, and then it's like shit, he's out of bullets, and then he gets shot. Yep. And it's like you can imagine that entire moment in your head, yeah, which is what... which is both a great joke and another example of how uh, fate and luck just play a huge part in this series. And that's a moment where just Malfo, basically through the grace of God, confronts somebody who doesn't have the bullets to stop him. Yeah. which lets them continue to go on this insane rampage. But it's also hard when you're making a, a show with violence and things like this to do something original like that. I'd never seen that before. Yeah. No, me neither. Yeah. So, you know, kudos for that. Yeah, for sure. Because everything you see, the shootouts like that, you always see the actual shootout Oh, and happen. by the way, one of the motivations for it, if I'm not mistaken, because I may have read this, was budget. Oh, oh I, really? I had guessed, you know, I guessed that. I, I kind of guessed. Yeah. You know what that would have cost yeah. to shoot that killing spree? Yeah, that's true. But it's an example of how restrictions breed creativity, you know? You, uh, yeah. yeah, when you don't have the budget to shoot it, you actually can come up with, when you can only hear it, it's theater of the mind. You can That's make right. something that uh, is even more insane than something Yeah, you and they'd have the see. one guy fall out of the window, so there's that. Which right. was a funny moment. Yeah. Very funny. Well, and that's a guy we already knew and were kind of annoyed with. He was the guy with the Australian accent, I think. Um, oh. Oh, right. He had some lines. We knew who he was. From one of the lunches, yeah. yeah. Yes, Which yeah, we'd seen seen that guy once before mm-hmm. or so. Uh, but yeah, that was also the scene that introduced us to, uh, yeah, Bunch and Pepper, Key and Peele. Yeah. Um, who, it's funny to see Key and Peele in, in this show. I, I will say po- a possibly controversial opinion that I don't know how well they fit in this show. Yeah. Did you think this stuck out? I did feel, it did feel like they stuck out a little because bit. Because of I how felt, inept they were or just because we know who Key and Peele are? I felt like it reeked a little bit of stunt casting. Like, I, f- I felt like... They felt they just felt like Key and Peel, and they didn't actually feel like well, two detectives at, who were the, in the situation. at the risk of sounding mm. uh, like I don't know what's going on in the world. I'd never seen Key and Peel. Me neither. Right. So, so when I saw actually, the show, it didn't. It was my it was my son. We were watching it together. Who just went, "Oh my God, look who's on!" And I was like, "Who are they?" And now, of course, I'm obsessed with them, and I've been watching, <laughs> right. catching up with all of their great <laughs> sketches. But um, I think the only problem was that they were uh, really unnecessarily inept yeah but that was the concept and that's what they were going to go with and and there is payoff so it, uh, it ultimately works i think i it's, it's i don't think it's that the characters don't work i think the characters make sense in the entire telling of the show and i know that they're very i mean they're very good comic actors if you watch their show you know that they're very 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 strong actors for whatever reason them playing these particular parts in a show with this tone it didn't quite feel right I don't, well, know what, I don't know what it was to be, but... Yeah. Uh, has anybody else brought up the notion that uh, it's a little Shakespearean, uh, that they're <laughs> Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, if any of our listeners know Hamlet? These oh, are... I think all our listeners know oh, Hamlet. Okay. We have a very educated there audience. You know. <laughs> <laughs> These are the two outside characters that uh, are killed off, off stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the great Tom Stoppard, the playwright, wrote a play uh, 40 years ago called Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, which is a line from Hamlet. They just right. come in at one point and they say, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And uh, he wrote a whole play about it. It was really Hamlet from their perspective. They're mm-hmm. two of his school buddies who come and uh, actually turn into spies for the king. Uh, but... They're sort of outside the action, but but a part of it. And that's a little bit of what I think Hawley had in mind with these two. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah I, I can see that. I can totally see it that they're playing like kind of a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern role here. Mm-hmm. Um, as, yeah, as kind of like the two normal folks who are commenting on the action from outside of it. And also that they're bringing back kind of the fascination of puzzles they, that we've talked about. You know, that the puzzles keep showing up in the episode titles of this show, different logic puzzles. I don't, you know, that one of these episodes is called Who Shaves the Barber? Yeah. Do you know where, do you know where that comes from? No. Um, it's from a famous paradox called the Barber Paradox. So, suppose there's a town with just one barber who is male, and in this town, every man keeps himself clean-shaven by either A, shaving himself, or B, being shaved by the barber. Makes sense so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, the barber is the man who shaves all those who do not shave themselves. Makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the question is, who shaves the barber? (sighs) Because if the barber only shaves those who do not shave themselves, then he can't shave himself. Yeah. So who shaves him? That's all. That's there's no answer. There right? is there, it's just no. It's a paradox. The I idea think, is there is I no answer. I think which came first, the chicken or the egg, is a much more profound <laughs> conundrum. This one doesn't quite do it. For it's, me. Not, it's not. I'm not saying a it's really profound. Certainly cut his but. own hair. He can. I mean, I understand. You know, who in real in real life, head? he can. But right. if his job is to shave those who don't shave themselves, then, right? Yeah. Right. It's a uh, yeah. So what does that mean in relation to this particular episode? I can't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I think Billy Bob Thornton played a barber in another Coen Brothers movie. That's He's, all I can. Think. Oh, yeah. he certainly did. He did in the man who was there yes. yeah the only thing i could think of is maybe it's who's asking who's asking the obvious questions i guess that nobody else is asking well, in this molly. case in this case it's molly sure. right yeah that's good i'll buy yeah. that yeah i don't know that's the best i could come up with there yeah well, that works there's one other character we haven't talked about yet we haven't talked about wrench the deaf hitman oh yeah who, um who ends up hospitalized yeah um has two great scenes in these two episodes oh yeah um one with one with molly who one where he well, he does a lot of listening. But yes. I mean, it's the, it's the Malvo monologue when he's in the uh, hospital room with him. Yeah. That's an awesome scene. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that moment where, yeah, Malvo shows up and he's just, he's terrified because he knows usually yeah, when Malvo sits great. down, when Malvo sits down for these monologues, it means he's about to kill he's you. He's also tied to the bed. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And he can't, he can't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but Malvo surprises him by saying, hey, you got close, closer than anybody else. Maybe come see me if you don't feel too raw about it. And that's where yeah. the show really does... Uh, uh, you know, sit in my wheelhouse because I just love being surprised. And it is a great, mm-hmm. it's a great when, surprise. When, when takes... I thought I was going to throw something like explosive on him or something. <laughs> right. I was like, he's going to kill him right now, right. and he didn't. No, he doesn't at all. And in in a way, it's a callback to what happens in the previous episode where um, Malvo's talking to the guy in Reno, trying to get information about Fargo out of him, and the guy says, "Listen, this is a business of relationships. Mm-hmm. I can't just give away my clients' information. That's not how this whole hitman game works." Malvo obviously doesn't buy that there, but you can see that in this world of, you know, professional assassins, there is a kind of personal respect and, you know, kind of like, I realized that you were just doing your job um, and I respect that you're good at your job. So let's, I don't know, let's work together. Let's be friends. Mm-hmm. And Mr. Wrench will live to kill another day. And Mr. Wrench <laughs> lives to, yeah, lives to kill another day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know how that deaf actor was cast or how the role was written for a deaf, da- uh, a deaf actor? I don't. Noah Hawley says that uh, he uh, lives in Texas and there is a deaf school nearby. Mm-hmm. And he's just fascinated by the people who come and go. Hmm. And he's gotten a bit involved in them. And then he thought, well, why in the world shouldn't I be writing a deaf character? Hmm. Why not? Indeed. So he did. And that's, that's all it took. 
Yeah. Interesting. And it isn't, it's, you know, and, and like Malvo was talking about, you know, I've known, I've never met a deaf hitman. I've met hitmans who was like missing an eye or missing like a limb or whatever, but it seems like it would make it that much harder to do your job. Well, it was great because it gave <laughs> the other actor played by Adam Goldberg uh, something to really play. Yes. Yeah. And then, of course, R.I.P. Uh, when, he <laughs> yeah. di- when he dies, you know, we feel a little that Mr. Wrench is bereft. He's lost his partner in more ways than one. Yeah. yeah. Lost basically the person who makes him able to operate That's in this correct. world. Yeah. But Malvo sees something in him. And it's cool. It's a cool moment. Respect, respect among thieves. Honor yeah. among thieves, I guess. But the Molly scene, too, is so great for yeah. how real yes. it got. That was I mean, a great moment. Because in Fargo the movie, that part is cheesy at the end when Marge is like, you know, just for a little bit of money. Oh, you think that was cheesy? I love that moment. No, but I think it's a little bit cheesy just because of her character and the the overall tone oh, at the end of it. I think you're in minority on that one. No, no, I'm not saying cheesy in a bad way. I'm just saying it was like a little cheesier feeling. Like it didn't get me in an emotional way, but whereas the way Molly talked about it, I, f- I actually felt a lot more emotionally affected. Like the other one was just like, oh yeah, yeah, like that's true. I agree with that. But I didn't like feel it as much as like when Molly said, it, I was like, whoa, this was like, I felt it in my gut. So yeah, so you're noting it's a direct callback to the moment in Fargo where Marge is talking yeah. to Gary. Yeah, but can I say something? You know, Fargo was a uh, two hour movie. Mm-hmm. Marsh doesn't enter the movie for 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've been with Molly for hours. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has more resonance. It's yeah. the things that's, it's, it's one of the things about television is right. that you get caught up in the characters in a way you really can't in a movie. Mm-hmm. It is it exactly. It's what it was about I mean, to say. It if is Breaking Bad was a two hour movie, we would never have the feelings for Jesse and for mm. uh, uh, Walter that we do because that's one of the great things about a television series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It it's part of, I think it's yeah, part of why television does kind of seem like, you know, the the golden age. This we're in that golden age and this is kind of the medium By the of way, our time. The first golden age, just for some history, you know. Characters didn't change on television series. Did you know that? Yeah. Well, the idea is, it you was know, the they same were every week. they were a lot less serialized, so you had to you had to have consistency from episode to episode. Well, it's correct. You would all, you could watch any year of any episode <laughs> right. of you know F- Father oh. Knows Best or any of those shows, or even drama series like Perry Mason. You just watch any one. Right. There was no you know uh, building up of right. Right. Uh, it kind of began with Hill Street Blues back in around 1980, mm-hmm. but. Um, Characters didn't grow. They didn't change. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was very new. Mary Tyler Moore did it. She matured over the seven years on that show. It, it never The character on any television series hmm. stayed the same if it was on for four years or 14 years. The character stayed the same, like The Simpsons. Right. Yeah. They, they were suspended in a time warp. Right. Right. Um, and this is just one of the great things about the new way television's done. Yeah. In many, in many ways, now, kind of cinema is a place that at least for the big movies it's reserved for like spectacle and for you know just telling those big stories and the great character work is done on TV mm-hmm. well and also don't forget fewer movies are made and yeah. that's why so many great movie makers are working in television yeah and uh, this really is a golden age because I yeah. mean I uh, by virtue of the fact that uh, uh, I'm able to go to all the movies for free at this time of year when they <laughs> want my vote for the Writers Guild the yes. Screen Actors Guild of which I'm a member uh I've seen every movie that came out, mm-hmm. and television had a better year than movies. This is out of my mind. Hmm. No, I no. This was a packed year for TV, Absolutely. and and a relatively weak year for movies. I that's would right. totally agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that's actually a trend that's just kind of going to continue because I don't. It, it, is, it seems like 2015 is going to be equally packed for TV. No, especially with all the new networks. I mean, look, yeah, just, Amazon, right? I yeah, mean, it didn't exist last oh, year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, now that they've got, you know, kind of their house of cards, now they're just going to start building all these new TV shows, and, like, every everything is going to be just growing and increasing. Mm-hmm. More work, supposedly. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. In Except theory, guys right? like Noah Hawley are writing every episode. That's not good for writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God damn you. Yeah, exactly. Save some for me. Um, well, okay, so we've talked about most of this stuff, actually. I think so. I think we've basically just about caught up to where we are in immediately after the time jump. Yeah. Where everything has changed. The situation has completely changed. Yeah. Molly, except that Molly hasn't let go of this. She's still got the board set up. Mm-hmm. And and Budge and Pepper haven't totally let go of it. They've still got that picture of Alvo of up course, in the room. Of course, the board right. yeah. is, 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 is a reveal by accident by tossing yeah. the tennis ball. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which is great. Yeah. And, Mal- and Malvo, who knows what Malvo's been doing? Malvo has uh, just run off somewhere, and now he's mysteriously back with a totally new haircut. Yeah. But Lester has... And just as violent as ever. And just- <laughs> but, Spoiler! Yeah. But Lester has just... Com- He's like fulfilled basically his wildest dreams. He's gotten everything he could possibly want. He's got like a wife. He literally won insurance salesman of the year. Mm-hmm. And that that's like the kind of cheesy thing that when you imagine like I'm going to turn my life around, that's what you imagine happening to you. Right. And it's happening to him. It's like this encounter with Alvo has, en- has enabled his greatest fantasies to come true in a really sick way. Mm-hmm. And so ev- we're, everything's completely on top for him. Everything's running perfectly. Then Malvo shows up and he's squirming. And what the I hell is going to happen? I know. I'm so excited to find out. Do we have any are th- any final thoughts on these couple of episodes? Hmm. Well, I think the one uh, very odd moment reminds me in Fargo of the scene when Marge uh, meets up with the high school guy who's oh Marge, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. I love you. I mean that is the Mike y- the Mike Yonagita moment is for such sure. Such a weird scene, right? Yes. Yeah. Well, I think the scene where Chief Bill shows up with his new adopted oh, son. Oh, I totally almost forgot true, about that. Yeah. Yes, right out of that. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. To that. Totally forgot it's about that. It's out of nowhere, and it's so dear. It's uh, yeah. Chief Bill. Now we see a side of him we never saw. Yeah. Molly is able to relate on a level to him that she has not before. Right. Uh, so it achieves a kind of a purpose, a very different purpose than the one in the movie Fargo. With, yeah. Uh, with Marge and well, Mike. Well, more coincidence, too, that I know that Margaret has a special connection to the whole story of the, the Sudanese Lost yes, Boys. Uh, yes. Yeah. Full disclosure, my, my, wife, yeah. uh, my wife wrote a movie about the Lost Boys called The Good Lie, which is currently uh, uh, number 16 on iTunes. It was released in theaters last October, and uh, it's a terrific Great movie. movie. Yeah. It's a we great saw movie. the screening. We yeah. did the Q&A with Margaret. Yeah, great yeah. movie if you haven't seen it. Yeah. But it's... It just like the Mike Yanagita moment seems like it's totally out of nowhere, but seems but has some thematic yeah. meaning and some yeah. plot meaning. There's stuff going on there too. Um, for one thing, it humanizes Bill a little bit. Yeah, it does. Bill, who's he needed that. Bill, who's you know this total idiot authority figure the entire time, but, but not unlikable. But not unlikable, which is exactly. I think part of the real gift uh, of Bob Odenkirk's acting, and you know Bob Odenkirk was a stand-up and a mm-hmm. comedic yeah. sketch yeah. comedian. Who's grown into this fantastic actor? I mean, I'm I, so excited about Better Call Saul. I don't even know what to do with. I will that. say too, yeah, mm-hmm. like I, I liked his work. I loved his work as Saul Goodman, but it also seemed like he's, you know, a character that he almost like a Mister Show character that yes. he's just expanded a little bit. But this was this is different. this is different. This is him really. Very he's different. really digging deep here. Very yeah. different. Um, a really impressive performance from him. Yeah, and I'm sure he was cast just because uh, my colleague just loves who he is and thought, let's give him a shot. Yeah, and he nailed it. Totally nailed it. I I, to- I agree. I think Jackie. I think you were just incredibly frustrated with this guy. Yeah. All the entire time. I am because <laughs> it's just like his ego, or 
maybe it wasn't just ego, it's but not, his, it's his, it's his, uh, he's just not very good at his job. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, part of it is like his ego, like I'm the chief and this is the way it goes. And just, uh, it's not just ego though, because there's also self protecting. Like, yeah. It's like sort of like, he's not a very evolved person and I like, can't really imagine that like other people could be so evil and like, he's just not good at his job. Or it's that true. a woman could be better at his job than he can. A- right. A- so maybe that's a little bit of what you're, cause mm-hmm. I see that. I see that. I yeah. Mean, and you know, you no, he's, face it in the he's a very blinder character who he basically mentions the crime goes down the way he sees it in, you know, movies and TV shows where it's like, Oh, of course it's the jealous brother yeah. who's, uh, who decided to like, uh, his having an affair with his brother's wife and then kills the wife. And, you know, he's got the yeah. whole story ready made in his head. He's not prepared for the actual, actual police work. But he is essentially he is essentially a guy who is trying to be a good cop and a good leader for the station, and seems like he has a good heart. Yeah, well, I, we, I that's more what we it, find no. out. Yeah, when yeah, meet right. His son, and and yeah, and then there's you know, and the whole story of how the that you know the kid was like you know just stealing from a grocery store for three months, thinking that this was never going to work out, and then by pure fate he found this guy. Yeah, um, it's another example of how I think. Uh, when, when things seem completely hopeless, and I think after a year passing, especially for like a character like Molly, things seem totally hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, even at, even as things are going well with her new husband, and she's saying, "Yeah, we're doing good." You can see by the look on her face, she's still to- really troubled by what happened a year ago. Is it after that moment with um, with Bob Odenkirk that then she kind of again was thinking about her board a little bit more and called the FBI? Um, I don't remember the sequence of that. I don't remember the sequence either. I think I just wonder, because that would be somewhere how in the movie, after she meets up with Mike Anagia and then she finds out from her friend that like he was lying about everything, then it kind of like gives her an idea that people might be lying more than she thinks. I think you actually might be right about the sequencing there. I yeah. think I think she I'm not sure if she, I don't think she makes that call until after that scene. Yeah, I just wonder But if it's, it's uh yeah, it's an example I think the the real message there being even when things seem darkest, as they seem pretty dark here, don't don't lose hope. The arc of history is long, but it bends towards justice, as uh, as Martin Luther King said. Mm. And things oh, eventually. Oh now we're getting really highfalutin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And eventually, these things kind of seem to have a way of working themselves out, mm-hmm. as we may end up seeing as we go into episodes nine and ten. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not going to say too much. <laughs> and by the way, uh, I also found out that uh, Fargo will be coming out on DVD, and there will be commentaries with some of the actors. Oh, and directors. great! So for those, uh, I cool. I eat up those directors' yeah, commentaries. Yeah, I think this could be a really fun one. Yeah, yeah, I bet. I I think I Noah Hawley seems like a very. I've only read interviews of him. I haven't actually heard him speak, but he seems like a very kind of uh, interesting, line, kind of outspoken guy on this stuff. Well, uh, I recently sat with him uh, at a dinner, uh, which honored uh, both he and my wife for their writing. So it was really a very special time, and I. Didn't have a chance to talk to him in great detail, uh, but I was able to congratulate him and tell him I'd already watched the entire series more than once. And uh, uh, he got up to make a speech, and it was completely off the cuff, and it was fabulous. I mean, he, he really can <laughs> talk. You know, I bet. Good. Oh, yeah. I, I bet. Uh, unlike uh, Lester's speech when he accepts his award, which was, <laughs> which was yeah, which made my skin crawl a little bit, too, because even See? after he's achieved his wildest dreams, he can't help but play the victim. And, and all he's talking about is how what a hard what a hard time he's had and how he's overcome all this. It's uh yeah it's 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 it is nauseating and it's mm-hmm. vile both and, of those and things. And doesn't he say in that speech one of the great lines in the entire series, <laughs> which is, "The worst 
does happen. Yeah. And you need to be insured. insured. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's really uh, pretty, pretty phenomenal. Uh-huh. It is, that is great. And it's listen, a- um, uh, I really need uh, you guys as witnesses that I did not go on the internet this whole time we were talking, but I did remember who played uh, Marge in that pilot of Fargo. Oh, who? yeah. Get ready, folks, because it's a great choice. But she was not famous yet. Edie Falco. Really? Oh. How do you like that? I do like that. She had not done The Sopranos yet. No way. She had done Oz, but she had. We didn't. Know I her could yet. see it. You know what I could oh, see? Oh yeah. yeah! Wow. Cool. I like her. <laughs> well, maybe she that'll be so an, good. Maybe that'll be an extra on the DVDs for the Fargo. No. <laughs> no I, I, I somehow highly doubt it. How cool! Um, wow. We're, should we move on to our final segment of the show? Yeah, I think if we have. We always end our shows with a quiz that's loosely inspired by what we watched. It's a segment Fabulous. called Racing Air Quizota. I love it. So today's quiz was inspired by the one year later time jump that we had in these episodes. Mm-hmm. I thought we would talk about some things that happened a year in the past, even though wow. it's the very beginning of 2015. Uh, <laughs> so I'm not going to do 2014. Instead, let's talk about the far off year of 2013. Oh my God. That is the theme of today's quiz. All right. Um, we'll see how good your memories are for things that happened <laughs> Who was a year president? Ago. I don't even remember. <laughs> um, <laughs> so here's how it works. I just have I have a few multiple choice questions, and you and Jackie will be facing off. If you think you know the answer, say it out. Whoever has the most points at the end wins. I'm gonna lose this. Sounds one. good. Didn't we start this by my saying I've never won anything before? You might. You're gonna win this. this. You, might, you might win the award. <laughs> I'm the be award very for competitive, Jackie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. Jackie's very competitive. I'm very too. competitive, and I feel like I'm gonna lose this one. <laughs> all right. Or may, or maybe you guys will nail all of these. Depends how good your memories are. Let's oh, find I'm out. Scared. All right. Question number one: Which of these celebrities died in 2013? Hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman, Paul Walker, or Phyllis Diller? Uh-oh. It's Phyllis Diller. All right. Ron just made his pick. Jackie? He's so sure I'm going to go with that, too. You guys are both wrong. Oh, no. Is it Phyllis Seymour Hoffman? No, that was early this year. Oh, no. Paul Walker. Paul Walker died in 2013. No way. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. so crazy because, okay, my firm... It really feels like it happened last year. Yeah, because we worked on the... Um, the Fast and the Furious movies, like we have actors who are in it. And so when Paul Walker died, it was a, it was a thing. It affected us. I yeah. can't believe that that was already in 2013. It was like, it was like October 2013. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Phyllis must have died in January or something. I think so, yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. Which of these movies came out in 2013? Oh, uh, the, the Hunger Games, Divergent, or Frozen? It's Hunger Games. Hunger Games. Guys, still, no. What? Frozen. Frozen came out in 2013. This is so weird. You're right. It was not a 2014 yeah, December, movie. Yeah, December Hunger 2013. Games, isn't that, you're talking about the sequel? Or? No, I'm talking about the first movie, The Hunger oh, Games. Oh, so the, the second first came Hunger out Games came out in 2014? 2013. 2013. Well, that's what we said. That's what we said. We said Hunger Games. We said Hunger Games. Oh, yeah, no. Hunger, Ga- no, Hunger Games came out in 2012. Oh. oh 2012 and 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> it would have helped if I'd seen The Hunger Games, probably. Yeah, right. I okay. saw it. <laughs> All right, so we're 0 for 2. You guys are both 0 for 2. Wow. Guys, this didn't happen that long ago. All right. According to Billboard (laughs) magazine, what was the biggest hit song of 2013? Uh Uh-oh. Was it Thrift Shop by Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, or Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen? I think it's Blurred Lines. I'll go with Blurred Lines, too. Blurred Lines did come out in 2013, but it was not the biggest hit. It was, in fact, Thrift Shop. It was. Oh, I thought it might be that. Oh, for three. Oh, for three, guys. I thought you guys were going to do all this. All right. Well, which, you have tricky questions, classic Josh questions. Which of these major world events happened in 2013? 
Edward Snowden leaked thousands of secret NSA documents. George Zimmerman shot Trayvon Martin. Or Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 disappeared. I think Trayvon Martin. Uh, I, I remember where I was for Trayvon Martin, and it was 2013. So it's Trayvon Martin. Guys, that happened in 2012. What? Uh, uh, Even but further back than... The the tri- the Zimmerman and uh, the George Zimmerman trial was in 2013, but he shot him uh, in 2012. Oh, that's what it was. And, oh, but uh, but last year, but in 2013, uh, the Snowden leak happened. Oh. That was my first choice, but then I thought for sure. I remember being. <laughs> I remember where I was when right. I heard uh, Obama come out and talk about saying Trevon's like me. But that's after the yeah, fact. that was yeah. after the trial. All right, guys, uh, were those trick questions? They're they're all. I mean, they're all the right answer. They're just tricky. Is there one more? Can we? Get one up right. To 10. Well, it's we got ten questions. So okay. you, I think you guys will. We're over you four. Guys, you guys are over four right now. <laughs> All right, here's a tricky one, guys. A tricky ever. one. This is a tricky one, Jackie. The right. UN declared 2013 the International Year of what? Light, quinoa, or crystallography? Who determined this? The United Nations. Every year they call it year the International Year of something. No wonder they're inept. <laughs> what was 2013 the International Year? It cannot year of? be quinoa. It cannot be uh, the last one. What was the last one? Crystallography. Oh please, I don't even know what that is. It's got to be the first. Well, one. I'll give you a hint. All of those oh. were at one point the International Year of something. Oh my god. But it god. was it which one well, was not it for 2013? UN. Oh god. <laughs> crystallography. I'll just say it. All right, yeah, we should do different ones. Yeah. Yeah. She's crystallography and I'm light. <laughs> Guys, it was quinoa. Oh! <laughs> because they were like quinoa it's the new sustainable grain that we're going to plant everywhere. oh my so they God. were all in favor of quinoa well at least we're consistent jackie oh geez <laughs> we're trying now we're going to try for to not get any right all right now <laughs> i'm going to do the george remember the opposite uh-huh. i'm doing the seinfeld george <laughs> guys what film won the golden globe for best musical or comedy of 2013 this i'll get i hope so was it american hustle the wolf of wall street or inside lewin davis it's definitely american hustle yeah i was gonna say that too we got one right. Finally, you guys got one Yay! right. Yes. American also won that. Uh, though it got totally shut out of the Oscars, it did win right. the Golden Globe for, right. for Best Musical Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who is Time Magazine's Person of the Year for 2013? I'll get this one, too. Uh-oh. Was it Pope Francis, Barack Obama, nope. or Mark Zuckerberg? It was Zuckerberg. Okay, Zuckerberg. <laughs> Jackie, you have to be stopping so swayed by him. He's not necessarily always right. It was Pope Francis. <gasps> I thought it was Pope Francis, too. Mark, Mark was 2012, wasn't it? Uh, Zuckerberg actually think it was 2010. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and then Obama was 2012. Right. Oh, wow. All right. Here, guys. Which of these viral news stories happened in 2013? <laughs> A man with two functional penises known as Double Dick Dude answered questions on a Reddit Ask Me Anything forum that went viral. Never heard of that. A 21-year-old woman auctioned off her virginity for $780,000, but never slept with a winning bidder. Never heard of that. Or an amateur painter shoddily retouched a priceless painting of Jesus that would become known as Monkey Christ. <sighs> never heard of that. I think so. it's the first one, the double thick dude. Uh, uh, you're going to the two penises? Yeah. I figured you would. Uh, <laughs> I'm going for uh, uh, Jesus. Um, okay, you guys are both wrong. What? <laughs> no, it was the woman who auctioned off her virginity. Oh my god, I've never heard of that one. Yeah. I'm sure those others all happened in different years. All those happened, yeah. Of course yeah. they did. Uh, oh. The Monkey Christ one was 2012, I think. I that remember was the... the Double Penis Dude. Yeah, Double Penis Dude was actually early this you year. You know, now that I'm that remembering, was 2013 was a really bad year for me. No, was it? Was. No. It was. 
Huh. No, it was. A bad year. You know what? It wasn't a great year for me either. I think 2014 was rough for me. But so was 2013, actually. <laughs> 13 was really, really 13, bad. 14. Woof. Yeah. I was very glad when that year was over. Mm. Well, you... I'm going to be even more glad now when this <laughs> quiz is over. <laughs> Guys, you guys are tied with two questions left. So I think one of you could end up being a winner. All right. <laughs> um, which of these films takes place entirely or partially in the year 2013? That's a good question. <laughs> Escape from L.A., 12 Monkeys... Or Demolition Man? Oh, very good question. Uh, it could be any of them. Yeah. Uh, but because Escape is the oldest picture set in the future, I'm going to go with that. I'll do Demolition. Yeah. Ron gets the points. Ah! Yeah, it was indeed Escape from L.A. Demolition Man, I think, was 2030-something is when that one took uh, place. Because the just movie was that. made in like 1979, so I'm thinking... right. Right. Mm. That's their TV. Very futuristic. <laughs> All right. And then final question, Jackie, you still have a chance to tie. No. Who was the winner of the 2013 che- Teen Choice Awards Fashion Trendsetter Award? <laughs> Watch, I do get this one. <laughs> was it Emma Watson, Demi Lovato, or Miley Cyrus? 2013. 2013. Trendsetter. I don't even know who the middle person is. <laughs> Wait, Demi Lovato is what this is. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Yeah. She's like a. Disney. Isn't she yeah, like she's Disney? like a she's like a Disney star, yeah. singer, actor, whatever. Emma Watson, Demi Lovato, and the third one was uh, Miley Cyrus. It can't be Miley Cyrus, although she is a trendsetter. But 2013, that was the year she really did a lot of. I'm going to say Miley Cyrus. Yeah. You going with it? I'm going to just say Demi, just because. No, you I get can't a chance win. to win. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it was Miley Cyrus. Ah, <laughs> Ron uh, does win something. All right, Ron. I. <laughs> I've, I've got an invisible trophy for you. You can put it on your shelf. Just tell the viewers, the listeners, that I, I am crying. <laughs> oh. Oh. Guys, this was a lot of fun. This was, this was great. Fun. To be here, we were able to take this to your place, which has all these cool like little posters and stuff and full of books, theater to your books. your listeners, this, this, they took it on the road. A mm-hmm. huge, a huge map, of, map of dogs. Yeah, map of dogs. Illustrated map of dogs. Mm-hmm. From the 1940s. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> that's pretty. It's really cool. It is great. Um, and I recognize that toy from Toy Story Three, the 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 pink bear. That is uh, Lotso. Lotso, yeah. Vo- voiced by Ned Beatty. That's right. That's huh. totally right. That's all, just and to paint a picture. He smells of strawberries. If you go over and smell him, he smells. <laughs> of strawberries. Oh, wow. Do you remember that? The, he's the evil bear. Remember yeah, he actually yeah. ends up being the evil. The evil bear that smells like strawberries. He walks right, with right, the right. cane. He walks with the cane. I wonder, do stuffed animals lose their smell over time? It would seem like they would. They have to, but mm-hmm. he still yeah. smells for strawberries. <laughs> <All right. laughs> cool. Uh, listen, Ron, if people like want, or are listening to this want to check you out or check out, like, I know you got to do working on this book, where can they where can they find out about this? Yeah, sure. Um, I am writing a book, and I've got a very early version of my website up and running. It's ronfassler.org, uh, uh, and uh, it's Fassler spelled F like Frank, A-S-S like Sam, L-E-R. Ronfassler.org. That's great. Because yeah. .com was taken by a guy in Detroit named oh. Ron Fassler. Oh. Tell me about it. Uh, I'm the proud owner of joshrichman.net, so I feel go. your pain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which means, uh, yeah, you can find out stuff about me at joshrichman.net and check out other podcasts I've done and other videos and stuff I've been in, et cetera, et cetera. Jackie, And Jackie's mugshot is at the post office right here in Brentwood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, um, wanted dead or alive. Check out Jackie. Hey, uh, you could find me, I guess you could find me on Twitter, which we know is so boring, M-A-C-Q-U-E-L-I. 
Y-N-E. Have you tweeted anything recently? Josh, this is such a setup question. <laughs> I tweeted something about Josh just this morning, so go and check that out. And I also have an Instagram, full period metal period Jackie. Full metal Jackie is one of my favorite Instagram sites. Why, thank you. That's yeah, true. That's a great Instagram. Thank you. Especially when she posts photos of my dogs. That's right. Yeah. I was, gonna <laughs> say, I was about parties. to say, a lot, a lot of photos of dogs. That's right. It's great. Yeah, here's what you tweeted. Uh, you said, oh, it says, me, it's so nice out. Radio TFB, it's too hot. LA Brett. That's, that's true. Yeah. It was, that's right. Because that's what I said just before we walked in. I was like, oh, it's so nice out. And Josh is like, it's too hot. It's, it's, it's January. There's something <laughs> wrong with the world if this is how hot it is in the middle of January. It's LA. That's Still, great. You know what? She's right. Even before global warming, LA was warm in January. Yeah. I... I have, a, I have a January birthday. My birthday is at the end of this month. And as a kid, I always wanted to have a beach birthday. And I never got to because it was always like rainy or too cold or too muggy. Here in LA? Here in, even here, yeah, here in LA. Hmm. Really, February is usually, well, you're right on the cusp, but February yeah. is usually the month of rains, if at all. So I just, yeah. I just always know, like, I, I always, it was always too cold or rainy to actually do what I wanted to do on my birthday. Oh. But maybe, well, maybe, maybe this change. year it'll change. Well, I grew up on the East Coast, and the saddest story of all is you'd get the great Halloween costume. And then your mother would make you put a jacket on. Aww. Always cold on Halloween. Always usually yeah. rainy. Well, always cold. Speaking of that, yeah, we when we, we were doing, in your costume to wear a jacket on. Top yeah, of, of course. <laughs> the Fargo episode that we did, we actually had um, like a UCB performer and actress, and uh, she like is from Minnesota. So she was telling us about when she would go trick or treating in the snow one year, which is like unbelievable to us because in LA it's like you can right. just be right. like I said, like you know every girl can wear like a slutty girl costume on Halloween and you're fine. It's just not cold. So yes, that's different. true. In Minnesota, there are no slutty nurses or no, slutty cats. They're all what is what is she in the snow? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if anybody ever thought of moving Halloween to the summertime. Oh, that's smart. I, yeah, I think I yeah I don't know. Ask the pagans if you could go back in time and say, hey pagans, could you move your holiday to some other time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there a reason it's October thirty first? All Hallows Be- Eve. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, there, there, that it's, is the, I mean, that's the reason. It's like an ancient pagan tradition. That's the reason Christmas is in December too. It's not because it's Jesus's birthday. It's like an ancient like winter solstice tradition. Yeah, I guess yeah. Jesus's birthday is not actually written down. Is it? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just the time we as a society kind of determine. All right, here's when we're doing this. I don't know. Jewish Halloween's in March. That's marginally better. Oh, that's Jew- Jewish Halloween. <laughs> A.K.A. Purim. Uh-huh. Of course. Yeah. Um, great. Well, guys, I'm so happy this worked out, and we got to talk about Fargo's episode 7 and 8 with you, and I think uh, we're going to have a special guest who you know very well on to talk about episodes 9 and 10 in the near future. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be very, very exciting. Um, in the meantime, peace and love, guys. Peace and love. Peace out. Mm-hmm.